Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Fertility in Focus podcast. I'm your host, Christina Burns. I'm a doctor of natural medicine specializing in the treatment of infertility via natural and integrative methods. I founded the Naterna Institute in New York City, where my team and I work with women and couples, often in collaboration with Western medical doctors, to guide the path to healthy conception. In this podcast, you'll learn all about your body and everything in the fertility landscape to help you realize your dream of baby. I'll be bringing you the best of advice from experts in the fields of both natural and conventional medicine, as well as the heartfelt and very helpful stories of brave fertility heroes on their path to baby. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today's session is all about egg quality. Um, To start our session, we are going to listen to a clip of an older podcast that I did with superstar REI, Dr. Eric Foreman from Columbia Fertility in New York City. He's going to tell us all about egg and embryo quality. And then we're going to jump to, you know, what are the things or what are some of the things that can cause issues with egg quality? And then we are going to round up our session with a few ideas of what we can do to hopefully improve the egg quality. So it's going to be a great session, very informative, always as I like it to be concise and to the point so that you do not have to listen to this podcast for very long to get all the things you need to take away. All right, let's jump in. So let's jump into the nuances of egg and embryo quality. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. These are questions that I get asked a lot, so I'm hoping you know that, that this is going to really serve our listeners well. Is there a way to know if an egg is of good quality before fertilizing it and seeing it progress to being an embryo? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question because you do hear a lot about egg quality and people are told they have poor egg quality or good egg quality, and it's kind of a buzzword in this field. and there's really not a great test for egg quality, honestly. I mean, I think of it like a good quality egg is one that can fertilize and can divide and has the right genetic makeup and can make a baby. That's our goal, right? We don't just want to get high numbers of eggs. We don't just want to freeze eggs. Ultimately, we want that egg to turn into a baby, so a healthy baby, ideally. So that's a good quality egg. Like anything other than that, you know, is not a good quality egg. And it could be for a variety of reasons. It might not be mature. It has to have a certain appearance um, where it matures that it could combine with sperm. You yeah. mentioned the number 90% about eggs. Did that mean that um, eggs account for 90% of the chromosomal issues and, and sperm only 10%? Uh, is that Probably. what you mean? I mean, I would say give or take a little bit, maybe 10 to 15%, but... Yes, in general, um, you know, when, and it's not routinely reported out in PGTA, um, it's just sort of an assessment. The embryo has an extra missing chromosome, but there have been some small studies in research settings that have said, like, where does the abnormal chromosome come from? Did it come from the egg or did it come from the sperm? And approximately 90% of the time, it's egg. Um, And again, I think if you think about it, these eggs are sort of frozen in time, not frozen like we're talking frozen, but just sort of held in time from before a girl is born. She has all of her eggs in her follicles 
and they're sitting in the ovaries. Man, this is where your world comes in, maybe that other things, again, this is speculative. I don't like have a lot of evidence, but you know, that other factors could influence that, like free radicals and toxins potentially, that there are little proteins that hold these chromosomes together. And why why is it okay for 30 years for these eggs to be sitting there and not all the time, but most of the time they divide the chromosomes correctly throughout the 20s, even early 30s. But all of a sudden in the late 30s, in a period of a few years, it starts to change dramatically. It's, I mean, I wonder about it. I think it's an amazing question. We don't, I mean, I'm not a basic scientist. There are people that study this, but like, how is that possible that, you know, there's not much difference for years and years and years. And then all of a sudden, the risk of abnormal eggs, of infertility, of miscarriage dramatically increases in the late 30s and 40s. And it's, no, I don't, I don't have the answer, but part of it is that there is this complicated network of proteins that sort of keep the chromosomes intact and are involved in dividing them and maybe deteriorate in, in some way and maybe more in some women than others. Um, and maybe there's a way to preserve that or prevent that or minimize that, that risk. Um, on the other hand, men are making new sperm all the time. That's really interesting. And I guess that's, you know, one of the major reasons why we're seeing, you know, such a focus on egg quality and, you know, and trying to improve upon that uh, with technology or with alternative medicine, nutrition, what have you, that there just seems to be this, um, you know, this really big focus on trying to maybe introduce antioxidants or other like, or lifestyle changes that may reduce the free radical damage and improve the egg quality. But I, but I hear you on it being speculative and, and, you know, I hope we're going to get more evidence as we go along. So maybe at this point, it's good to talk about, you know, what exactly is PGT testing? Um, and that's done on the embryo. And, you know, if you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about that and then why it can't be done on an egg, for example. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, so PGT, um, pre-implantation genetic testing, has had different names over the years. It was called PGS, pre-implantation genetic screening. It was called CCS, comprehensive chromosome screening. We've kind of agreed as a field to now call it PGTA, pre-implantation genetic testing for aneuploidy. Aneuploidy means having the incorrect number of chromosomes. So again, a, a healthy, good quality embryo should have two copies of each chromosome numbered one through 22, and XX for girl, XY for boy. If an embryo is missing a chromosome, that's called monosomy. If there's an extra chromosome, that's called trisomy. And that could happen to any chromosome. And those, most of those are not compatible with a healthy life. Um, so some of those just don't implant. Some of them cause miscarriages. Some of them cause some syndromes like Down syndrome, which is trisomy 21. Um, so that's aneuploidy. That's what we're testing for. And as I mentioned, that could happen at any age any couple, but increases as especially the, the female partner's age, the woman gets older. We've learned since then that growing embryos to a later stage, the blastocyst stage, where it's a little ball of cells, maybe a hundred or more cells, and they can reach that stage on day five, sometimes day six, sometimes even day seven, that that's a safer stage to biopsy the embryo. You're taking a few cells from the outer layer, 
not the part that becomes the actual baby. Um, so there's been some studies that I've been involved with that show that that's safer than biopsying one cell from a day three embryo. And you also get more DNA from five or six cells than from one cell. So it's more accurate, more likely to get a result. And we've been able to use, I think, more robust technologies that also have evolved over the years that allow us to look at the copy number of each chromosome and make a prediction on whether the embryo that those cells was ta were taken from has the correct copy number of each chromosome. Um, so ultimately what happens is basically, and these eggs are retrieved and we get them in the lab. They're combined with sperm. Again, we don't know if the egg is good or normal. We don't know if the sperm is quote unquote good or normal. Some of those eggs fertilize, some of them develop, some of them just stop growing. Again, that would be a not good quality embryo, um, often due to the egg quality itself. And then some of them, and this varies from none of them to all of them. On average, we like to see about half of them make good quality blastocysts that could be biopsied. And then typically that blastocyst is frozen because the biopsy is usually analyzed at a separate genetics lab. Some places do it in their own lab, but it also takes time. So typically the embryos are frozen and then a report is issued for each embryo what its chromosome makeup is. So that's PGTA. Um, so your question, you know, why can't it be done on eggs? In some ways it can be, but it doesn't tell you the whole story and it's hard to interpret. So remember I've said that the egg has to divide its chromosomes. The egg is one cell. I mean, we can't test that one cell because we need to use it to fertilize. Similarly, why can't we test the sperm? We have to use that sperm to fertilize the egg it's one cell, it's a tiny cell. It would be nice if we could know that it was normal. Maybe someday there'll be a way to do it, but we don't, we just go by visually how it looks. Thank you, Dr. Foreman, for your insight. So n there isn't much in the way of, you know, hard evidence on what exactly is causing egg quality issues. It's really like a very esoteric kind of concept. And so, here are some of the things that that in my research I've come upon: um, inflammation, chronic inflammation, degradation of the cells, free radical damage, basically like accelerated aging. You won't find a single fertility doctor that won't say that age doesn't play a role in it. It does. Uh, you know, as Dr. Foreman was mentioning, you know, there is a steep decline, and so what I look at is like. You know, how do we reduce free radical damage? How do we slow or reverse some of the effects of aging? And what are the things that are going to cause us to age faster? Toxins are a big one. So let's jump into that topic next. Uh, when I was writing my book, I was sifting all sorts of articles to try to figure out how exactly toxins affect us. I knew that they affected our fertility in numerous ways, like exacerbating endometriosis or PCOS, um, maybe causing the FSH to shoot up. And I learned more and more and more about how 
it actually depletes ovarian reserve. So there was a study done on like 30,000 women that showed that women who had higher levels of toxins in their system went into menopause two years earlier than those who didn't. And that uh, women who ate food written in pesticides were less likely to have IVF success. And that there are certain toxins that correlate with uh, low follicle counts. So it was really interesting. And it's not just one toxin. It's like BPA or mercury and other heavy metals. So it's kind of coming at us from a bunch of different angles. And we're not always aware of where we're kind of meeting with these toxins. So I wanted to just use this segment to draw a little bit of attention to this and highlight some of the things that you can do. We're going to be more focused on the toxin aspect of it in this episode, though there are other things that are relevant to, and then there are some strategies to, to improve upon it also. So one of the things you can do is obviously eat organic. So I mentioned the pesticides, I was kind of already alluding towards that. And you don't have to eat 100% organic because I know sometimes it's hard to access organic food or maybe it gets really expensive. Um, So one of the things that you can do is you can look at the Dirty Dozen and Clean 15 lists online and those are updated every year. And they will describe uh, which foods are the most written written in pesticides and which ones have Uh, less of a chance of having a lot of pesticides on them. So the clean 15 are the ones that you can eat that don't, that can be conventional, meaning they don't have to be organic and they won't be totally loaded with pesticides. The dirty dozen are the loaded with pesticides ones. Like these are the ones you definitely should not eat conventional. You should definitely eat them organic. And those are things like celery and spinach and blueberries and kale. And and they're definitely obviously the rest of the 12 on that list. And they do change every year. Strawberries were another one. So check out those lists so you can figure out that if you can't eat 100% organic for whatever reason, that you're at least going to be avoiding the dirty dozen and doing the clean 15 and kind of working around it that way. You can also, depending on what season and what climate you live in, you can also go to the farmer's market and talk to the farmers. They don't always get certified organic because it's very expensive for them. So you can just be ask them, like if they're not certified, just say, do you spray? And they're going to answer you honestly. And if they spray, you know, maybe it's not the ideal for you. Um, but there are a lot that aren't necessarily certified organic that are not treating their stuff with pesticides. They're doing organic farming methods. They're just not paying for the certification. All right, so um, the eating organic or, or avoiding the pesticides uh, is one thing that you can do. Another thing that you want to draw attention to is your exposure to heavy metals. So heavy metals are coming at us through our drinking water. They're coming at us through like car exhaust and cleaning products and fish. And so we don't always have that much control over what we're breathing and what we touch and, um, you know, that we don't know if we're being exposed all the time, but you can certainly control what kind of fish you're eating. So my recommendation is to eat low mercury fish. And there is uh, information on that online too. The FDA has a list of your high mercury fish and your safer versions. And so the high mercury fish as a general rule are going to be larger fish. So swordfish and tuna are going to be more laden with mercury than maybe other ones would. 
And so the little fish, sort of the sole, for example, or like example, like Dover sole, that's going to be a better option for you. Maybe trout. Salmon is a larger fish, but it doesn't seem to have high concentrations of metal. So that one's okay. Spanish mackerel. But make sure to check out those lists because um, the mercury is definitely associated with um, depleted follicle counts and depleted ovarian reserve. And the thing is like this can happen prematurely. It's generally associated with age, but I've seen tons of women in their early 30s and late 20s having low ovarian reserve. And I myself have it. So I had definitely been kind of considering these strategies for myself too. Another place that we're hitting um, heavy metals is in our drinking water. And so I'm a big fan of getting a water filter that filters out metals. I personally use the Berkey and I get nothing for advertising them. So there's no like affiliate link or anything like that, but um, they're a great filter. I find the water tastes really good. Uh, I've also tried proper um, P-R-O-P-U-R. They're good too. I personally like the Berkey a bit better, but you could really go with either. The proper is a little bit less expensive. I don't think either of them are breaking the bank. Um, and then you can get, you know, full-blown systems put into your house if you want to do that. It depends on if you're renting or if you own or if that's affordable for you. The Brita is not going to do it. The Brita just filters out basically chlorine and some microorganisms. It's really not filtering out a lot of the bad stuff. So um, stick with one of the more heavy-duty versions. BPA is another toxin that we would definitely want to avoid. And BPA comes in plastics and cans um, a lot of the time. And so we're exposed to that when we're drinking a lot of, you know, water bottle, uh, water bottle plastics or heating our food in plastics. Sometimes it's takeout. And honestly, like all of our food is packaged in plastic these days. If you go to the grocery store, it's really weird. Um, you know, I get it. It's kind of guarding it from some germs and things. But then, you know, we're, ha- we're kind of bombarded by plastics everywhere and then cans you know a lot of people are drinking drinks out of cans there's food out of cans too obviously we have our soups and our coconut milk and and um beans and and such things like that so when possible uh use dried beans um use coconut milk out of like cartons you know we've just got to try to find other sources i find most of the time people are getting the bpa through cans so um through cans that they're drinking so you know seltzer or uh, soda pop beer for example um you know check out if your hubby is drinking a lot of beers because he could be just loaded with bpa And the acidic nature of a lot of the carbonated drinks, including beer, will kind of leach a lot more toxin into the liquid. So be really careful about cans. Um, Try to drink more out of glass bottles or um, stainless steel. Those are going to be safer for you. And, uh, you know, you'll be reducing the impact. So there are many more toxins out there, but I wanted to just cover some of the main ones so that you had some action items to start with. Um, Also, one thing I didn't mention was that farmed fish are often high in PCBs and dioxins, which aren't exactly fertility friendly. So while you're avoiding high mercury fish, um, make sure to be eating wild also. Other strategies are to, you know, clean up your cosmetics and your household cleaning products and just make sure that those are going to be, you know, cleaner, greener versions. And then you might want to consider doing a detox of sorts where you, you know, clean up your diet for a few weeks just to give your body a chance to clean out. And that would involve eating more plant-based foods, less meats and um, dairy and bread products and things like that. And 
Obviously, there's more to a detox, but it might be worth considering endeavoring to do something like that. We can certainly guide you through that at the Naturna Institute. You can reach out to us. I would not recommend um, doing a really involved one, like say a fast where you're just drinking juices or water for you know weeks at a time that is too extreme for when you're trying to get pregnant. Uh, So there are more gentle, um, easy ways that you can do like a detox program without it turning your life life upside down. A lot of the way that toxins affect our fertility and um, specifically our egg quality and egg reserve is it's sort of their the fact that they trigger inflammatory immune reactions in the body. Like they mess up hormonal signaling, they trigger inf- inflammation and, and the free radical damage that I mentioned early on. So there are cases with like endometriosis and PCOS, for example, which are already pro-inflammatory conditions where, you know, you introduce something that, you know, will cause more irritation, more inflammation, more chaos. And we're seeing, a quicker reaction and degradation of cells, which is why I generally see a massive change in in someone's overall fertility when we reduce the inflammatory load. So really eating a low inflammation diet, um, staying away from highly acidic foods, so a more alkaline diet, lots of plant foods. I'm not saying you have to be vegetarian or vegan, but lots of plant foods. Um, rest, low stress, um, for example, like not sleeping enough will release more inflammatory cytokines into your system. So it's a whole lifestyle approach and you'll hear me go on about it in podcasts. Um, other things that we can do are supplements and herbs. So there are supplements like acai, which is being studied by um, CCRM in Colorado for its ability to help egg quality. There are supplements like NAC, which is also an antioxidant that may help, especially in cases of like PCOS. Um, CoQ10 has been well studied for embryo quality um, when you're taking it in a good quality supplement and at the right dosage. And I've also found a lot of success using Chinese herbal formulas. Um, there are herbs like, um, well, they're Chinese names, so they're going to you know, maybe fly over your head, but um, Husha Wu, Goji Berry, um, Rumania that are amazing antioxidants and really regenerate cells. So I've developed a formula. It's called the Egg Quality Formula had great success. Um, Mostly what we've been looking at is, you know, if somebody was having IVFs prior that they weren't able to produce any quality embryos. After taking this formula for a few months, they then were able to produce chromosomally normal viable embryos to transfer and become pregnant. So uh, it hasn't launched yet, but stay tuned um, for the egg quality formula. And in the meantime, you can be consuming a low inflammation diet, avoiding toxins, and um, munching away on herbs and drinking herbal teas. That'll be helpful for you. Until next time. I'm really happy you've tuned in and joined the community, and I'm so excited to bring you more helpful content with each episode. In order to make this podcast as helpful as possible, want to hear your input on what questions you need answered to get you feeling empowered on your fertility journey. You can DM me on Instagram at at naturna underscore life 
or at NaturallyCB to share your most important fertility-related questions. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please follow and share with friends. My mission is to help as many women and couples as possible. And for that, I need your help. Yours as always in love and light, Dr. Christina.